welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome to this session on recovering from shame. My name is Tim Hansen. I'm a recovered sexaholic. I will be your leader for this session. For the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attend another session. We ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. Will you please join me in opening this session with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. And we pray, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The essay purpose, Sexaholics Anonymous, is a fellowship of men and women who share their, co- their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. Help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Guidelines for sharing, because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole, rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, or the we, not the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religion, therapies, treatment centers, occupation, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the SA point of view. Our meetings focus on the essay approach to recovery, so wherever possible, we avoid mention of titles and authors which are not essay-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. When sharing strays, we can remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. This is an anonymous program. However, federal and state law may require reporting of child abuse. We cannot guarantee legal confidentiality of any unprosecuted crimes disclosed in these meetings. Copies of these statutes are available at the literature table. Our panelists for this session are myself, Tim, and Mark V. Our panelists will share for a few minutes on the topic, then we will then open the meeting for sharing or questions. Again, we ask those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. We have two on-deck chairs over here as well. We ask that you be mindful of the time to allow others a chance to share. And Mark is going to begin the session.
Hi, my name's Mark. I am a sexaholic. Um, and uh, since we're here talking about shame, uh, it uh, serves a, a purpose to actually start uh, with an explanation as to what I'm talking about when I say shame, um, so that uh, throughout the rest of my share it, it makes sense. Um, the, the real uh, simple way for me to define shame is whenever I use the phrase I am and then, I, uh, then you fill in the blank and I put in something negative afterwards. In other words, if I uh, view myself um, as, as a negative uh, person or, or view myself in, in uh, negative uh, terms, um, then, uh, then I am, um, I'm essentially shaming myself. Um, I, you know, example, I'm an angry person versus I got angry at my wife. Uh, the problem with uh, saying that I am an angry person is what do I do with that? I, I'm stuck in that. There's nothing um, that can be done with that. That is who I am. Uh, it, it denotes that I will always be uh, an angry uh, person, and, and there is no uh, possible recovery from that. And, and that's incompatible with the 12 steps. Uh, you know, Steps uh, 6 and 7 uh, demonstrate uh, that there are uh, methods of overcoming our, our defects of, of character. So when I choose to have negative attributes tied to myself, then I, um, then I am shaming myself. At one point in time, I had difficulty with I am a sexaholic because I, I viewed sexaholic in negative terms. I have no qualms about saying I, I'm a sexaholic because I don't see anything negative with being a sexaholic. It is one of my greatest gifts and it is one of my greatest joys to, to be a sexaholic because it is the tool and the vehicle by which I am forced to connect with my higher power. And any tool or, or anything in my life which forces me to connect with my higher power is an incredible and awesome uh, thing, and therefore I have absolutely no qualms about uh, using the, the words "I am a sexaholic." Um, I, I love uh, I love the fact that I'm a sexaholic, and I've got um, I've got no problem. I don't go around uh, broadcasting it because uh, not everybody understands uh, what that uh, term means. But I uh, but in the right context, I have no uh, qualms about uh, talking to anybody uh, inside or outside of these uh, walls about my experience uh, with uh, sexaholism. So, um, you know, by this uh, same example, the uh, one of the analogies I love to um, to use uh, is you know I'm a, a bad driver versus um, I didn't uh, pay attention. Uh, while I was uh, driving the road and, and I got into an accident. Those are uh, very different uh, concepts because I, I'm a bad driver. I'm never going to be able to, to fix that. Whereas if I um, view, uh, view myself as far as having taken wrong actions, um, there's something I can do about that. It, it denotes that I can uh, pay better attention that, uh, than, you know, in the future when I'm driving. Um, and so I... Uh, um, I, I talk about when I do uh, things wrong and, and I feel bad about the uh, things that I've uh, done wrong, I talk about that in terms of I'm feeling guilt. And, and therefore, I, I delineate and, uh, and have a very clear black and white uh, difference in my mind uh, between guilt and shame. 
I, I know in, in the real world and um, out, out there, as far as the English language goes, people interchangeably um, mix uh, guilt and shame. But in my mind, you know, I, I've made that mental separation that, that those are very radically uh, different things. It is perfectly okay for me to, uh, to feel guilt over things. It, it is necessary for me to feel uh, guilt over uh, wrong things that I'm uh, doing so that I can go and uh, do a ninth step um, as my uh, tenth step prompts me to, to go out and, 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 um, and take responsibility for my actions. Um, it uh, doesn't, uh, the, the 12 steps uh, don't, uh, the 10th the step and, and the ninth step don't delineate that I need to go out and uh, take care of um, my false being. Um, so uh, so I, um, I need to take care, um, I need to take responsibility for my actions. And, uh, and making that clear separation in my head has made uh, going through the uh, 12 steps uh, much easier for myself. I don't have tons of time to go through all my um, twists and turns and experiences uh, with uh, shame, um, and it doesn't matter anyways. Um, just uh, know that I cannot remember a time in my uh, life um, where I did not have shame uh, ruling my life. Um, I can. Uh, there are clear signs of me in toddlerhood, and there's even descriptions of the way that I, I behaved as a baby. That uh, that showed clear signs that uh, that I was not comfortable uh, with myself. As I mean, this is long before I even had a concept of what self uh, was. Uh, it was very clear that I was not comfortable uh, uh, with myself in my own skin. Um, and uh, and so I cannot think of a moment in time in, in which you know I did not have uh, shame. Um, you know, running uh, through through me. It just seems to be a natural part of who I am. And therefore, I am afraid to talk to people, to connect with people. Um, it, it used to be early in, in recovery, I would be the first uh, one to make a beeline uh, to the door to get the heck out, out of the room. I hated the uh, meeting after the meeting. I did not want to connect uh, with, with other people uh, because that was the scariest thing in the world. Um, and I thought I was uh, doing a great service to all of you by not sharing myself. Because if you uh, knew uh, the real me, you know, uh, then uh, then I would just be projecting all of my uh, horrible um, attributes of myself um, out, out there into the world. Therefore, I was protecting my, myself uh, from you guys. The reality uh, was that I was separating, separating myself from God. The, the way that I can experience uh, God is not um, only through uh, reading uh, the literature or, or reading uh, scriptures or, or praying. That is not the only way to experience God. There, there is a very valid and a real way that is described over and over again in the uh, big book and uh, the white book uh, that uh, the uh, connection uh, with our fellow sexaholics um, is a way to experience God. And certainly as I have recovered from, uh, from shame and I, I have connected more and more uh, with uh, people, um, that is certainly true. You know, I, I experience uh, God over and over again. So not only was I missing out um, in that uh, experience of connecting uh, with, with God, but um, as uh, God started revealing uh, truths uh, to me about uh, shame and about uh, recovery, I was depriving all of you guys from, uh, from the, um, from the, things that uh, God had been sharing with me. I was depriving you guys of, of my experiences, uh, my uh, strengths and my hopes. And, uh, 
And, you know, that was clearly wrong of me uh, to do. Um, so over and over again, I, I, uh, I'm making amends by coming up here, doing uh, the thing that is not natural for me to do, that, that is not comfortable uh, for me uh, to do, but that doesn't matter anymore. Because when, when I uh, talk to an, another sexaholic and I see the light bulb uh, go off in, in their head and they get it and they understand uh, what it is that I'm, I'm uh, talking about, that is worth any um, uh, type of um, sacrifice that I, I need to, to do. That, uh, you know, it pales in comparison. So, um, so I have no uh, problems uh, um, I, spending hundreds of uh, dollars you know, uh, coming uh, to, to a convention um, so that I can uh, connect uh, with, with all of you guys. Have absolutely, the uh, the money means you know nothing. The uh, the um, slight uh, discomfort that that I might uh, find means nothing. What is more important is uh, is doing uh, God's will for me. So that's why I'm here. Um, a little bit um, of what we're uh, talking about. Um, I have uh, here. Um, I only have about. I, I've lost count because I keep on uh, passing out uh, copies of this uh, to people as I've uh, talked to them at, at the conference. Um, maybe around uh, 25 uh, copies of uh, Step 4 Shame Inventory. Um, and uh, the, this is exactly the, the text that was uh, published in the December 2011 um, essay. Um, and uh, you can uh, get copies of that um, online if you have a, a Google account. And if you don't, you, you can... Um, you can easily uh, down, download it. So if there's not enough copies to go around, um, you can find it at tinyurl.com slash shame inventory. Um, or you can find it at uh, the 630group.blogspot.com. There's no www in front of that. It's just straight 630group. Um, and 630 is um, not spelled out. It, it's the number 6, the number 3, the number 0 um, group, G-R-O-U-P dot blogspot dot, uh, dot com. Or you can uh, email me uh, directly uh, if, uh, uh, if those uh, things don't, don't fail. Uh, and you can email me at uh, mark, M-A-R-K dot 0325 at yahoo dot com. I'll, I'll get you the, uh, the copy of the uh, shame inventory if there's not enough uh, to, to go around and you want to do it. How this shame inventory uh, came about is um, we were having, uh, in our uh, group meeting, we were having a speaker meeting, and we were going over the uh, text of the uh, big book, and we were going over specifically the fourth step. And, uh, and the person that was uh, leading uh, that, that meeting, that's kind of cool because that, that person is uh, sitting here in the room right now, but uh, he was going through the uh, text, and as he was going through the uh, text, um, he uh, was reading on the top of page uh, 66, uh, the words where it says, the usual outcome uh, was that some people continued uh, to wrong us and, st- uh, and we stayed store- sore. You know, this is uh, the whole description of uh, resentment and, and why we uh, do a resentment uh, uh, inventory. And then all of a sudden there's this weird uh, sentence that's just thrown in that says, sometimes it was remorse um, and then we were sore at ourselves. And, uh, and that speaker just all of a sudden um, stopped after uh, reading that, that sentence and, and um, said, you know, I, I suppose we could do an inventory on our shame. You know, th- th- this is shame. You know, th- this is another definition uh, for shame, and I suppose we could do an inventory for shame. I remember uh, right after that meeting, I, I went directly to my sponsor, who happened to uh, be in the same meeting, and I said, all right, how do I do an inventory on shame? I don't know. 
I've never heard of it uh, before. Uh, I don't know how, how to do it. Um, talk to the speaker. I don't know. I've never heard of a uh, shame inventory. So I was stuck. Um, so, uh, so my sponsor said, well, you know, God will reveal many more things uh, to us. Why don't you uh, go and pray, uh, pray to God? And why don't you go uh, figure out uh, what it is that a shame uh, inventory looks like? Okay. Um, and for two or three days, absolutely nothing uh, came to me. Zero, zilch, nothing. Um, and uh, one morning I, I was walking up the, the hill um, to, to work, and this question just hit me. And uh, God asked me, are you uh, doing my will by carrying this uh, shame around? And, uh, you know, that, that was a, a pretty mighty question. And um, I, I have long since made amends to, to my employer uh, for this, but uh, frankly, for the next uh, several hours, I could not uh, do work. I was physically there at work, but I was uh, sitting there staring at uh, that question, uh, question. I wrote it down in a, in a notebook. I was staring at that question, and, uh, and that made just profound, um, just rocked my world. That, oh my gosh, maybe God does not want me to carry this uh, shame around. Because before that moment, I assumed uh, that, it, that it was a God-given um, desire for me to uh, carry this shame. Because, it, because, again, you know, in my faulty thinking, I was protecting the rest of you, uh, the, the world, from uh, my shame. I thought it was a good thing that, uh, that I had all, all this shame. I didn't yet realize that shame was blocking me from uh, connecting with God. Um, my my uh, second step is uh, the step that I go back to over and over and over again. Because whenever I'm wallowing in shame, invariably I am in my third column higher power. Those that have gone through the um, Steps into Action uh, book know what I'm talking about as far as third column higher power versus fourth column higher power. If you don't know, go uh, go get the uh, step into action and, and figure out oh, what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, the uh, you know I, I wallow in that third column higher power where I, I uh, view God as this uh, big um, bullying uh, guy that uh, that is ready to point his finger uh, down at me every single time I do something wrong. That third column uh, higher power um, has absolutely no power uh, to save. Or, or, uh, or redeem me, or restore me uh, back to um, to sanity has absolutely no power to do any of the uh, the steps. And when I wallow in, in that uh, third column higher higher power, I cannot progress anywhere else in, in the steps. I can uh, do perfunctory writings on on pieces of paper, but there is nothing that is actually occurring as far as my my step work because I am uh, stuck believing that that God really can't do for me. Um, oh, what uh, what um, what I need him uh, to do in, in order to recover. When, when I uh, switch out of my third column higher power into my fourth column higher power, the uh, the uh, the higher power that loves me um, unconditionally, who cares for me, who uh, who wants me to uh, to uh, succeed, um, then I have absolutely no difficulty uh, whatsoever in um, in. Uh, moving forward uh, through the uh, steps, um, I had uh, I had uh, gone through all uh, twelve steps, and I had had somewhat of a spiritual awakening, uh, a vital spiritual experience, but I, I knew I was uh, missing something, and that's why I went back through the uh, twelve steps again 
with my current sponsor to uh, to rework things around the issues of shame. And uh, and this is where the, the shame inventory has come about. There's another recording where I uh, spend an entire hour um, talking about the um, uh, working all 12 steps around shame. And uh, and uh, when I got done uh, with the, that hour, I was utterly amazed that an entire hour had passed uh, by. I thought it was only like five minutes that I had uh, spent talking about the, the 12 stops. And, and I looked down at my, uh, my watch and the entire hour was done at the very end. Um, so th- that was a pretty cool experience uh, to, to talk about that, and we don't have the, the time or the space uh, here to do that. Um, I brought uh, here uh, my uh, sponsor. Um, I won't uh, share his uh, story for him, uh, but uh, I- I'm sure he, he will. Um, and he has uh, taken people uh, through the shame inventory, and had uh, the experience of doing that. I've taken uh, people through the shame inventory, and um, you know I keep on hearing from people all around the fellowship who have uh, done this. And either there's a whole bunch of people out there who really like to build up my ego and say, you know, th- this is absolutely, you know, a, fa- a fantastic uh, piece of work, or um, or people are uh, um, reporting the truth that they have had wonderful experiences in going through the shame inventory. My personal experience is that this uh, shame inventory completely and utterly uh, relieved me of huge blocks of shame. Um, I I will, uh, just like I uh, from time to time uh, struggle with lust, I will from time to time uh, struggle uh, struggle with uh, shame. But it is nowhere like it used to be. Where, where I was completely debilitated and incapable and unable, uh, unable of taking the actions of love and, uh, and sharing uh, within the uh, fellowship. So at this point, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pass things off uh, to, uh, to uh, Tim and allow him to uh, go ahead and talk about his experience and working uh, through the shame inventory and whatever else he, uh, he and uh, God uh, feel fit to share with us about the shame inventory. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Mark. Hi, my name is Tim Anson. I'm a recovered sexaholic. Um, if you've got your white book with you, Sexaholics Anonymous, turn to page 48. And Mark has found this. God showed this to Mark. He replaced some of the words. Essentially, in the white book, it's talking about resentment. But he found when he plugged the word shame in, he got an apt description of himself. I'm going to read. You follow along and you can see where the changes have been made. Shame addiction cycle. Based on real or imagined injury of another person, we create and hold on to guilt about wrongdoing. We choose to distort the truth. Self-hatred and hence shame are born. The distortion of reality produces a false spiritual high. Satisfaction, pleasure, and release from punishing ourselves over the wrong. Self-hatred and shame fill a need, really a demand. We take nourishment from our self-imposed prison of shame. It sustains our need to punish others. It sustains a new reality, which is a lie. It hides our worth. We pretend that we are worthless to give reason to withdraw fully from the world so that no one knows about the secrets inside our head. Thus, shame becomes a drug. To continue justifying this wrong to ourselves, we periodically play the incident back, providing our our guilt in proving our guilt in court every time. Thus, by re-experiencing the shame, we seek to recapture the original relief from being able to secretly punish ourselves just like the first time. 
Our use of shame thus becomes habitual, producing more wrong, which requires more of the drug to cover it. The vicious cycle is set. It has a life of its own, unrelated to the initial event. Persistence in this habit produces distress. Part of us always knows that it is wrong to keep punishing ourselves like this. The lie doesn't square with something inside us. We are not as bad as we imagine with what we see with what we see in the real world outside and with inputs we get from others. Plus, we feel shame for employing this unnatural ecstasy and our isolation increases. We try abstaining from this inner spiritual habit so we become gentle with ourselves as though we had never condemned or thought ill of ourselves. But this pretense only deprives us of our drug, shame, creates a new lie that needs more drug, and forces us to treat the distress of withdrawal with the medicine that provides real relief, more shame. This mental behavior fulfills the three criteria of addiction, tolerance, abstinence, and withdrawal. We are now fully addicted to shame as a spiritual attitude, quite apart from any physical acting out. Um, the shame inventory does work because it, doesn't, it is not work. I watch a man doing the shame inventory. I would see him sitting in a chair with a pencil in hand. He's alternately sitting quietly with his eyes closed and writing a few things down. And what happens is God comes in and does the impossible. This is called the 12 steps. Okay? If you have a, have a shaky second step, you will be completely lost. If you are not clear about what has been asked of you to agree to in the third step, this will be ineffective. The third step boils down to this paragraph on page 62 of the textbook of recovery titled Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, so our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the sexaholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we sexaholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must where it kills us. And God makes that possible. And there seems no way of getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them, even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centered as much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This shame self-centered behavior. Yes, it is. Wilson called it the opposite side of the ruinous coin marked pride. And uh, the 12 and 12, page 45, is a paragraph that um, really hammers this home. And, you know, I searched the literature for the word shame, the Alcoholics Anonymous literature, I didn't find it. And it's because... It appears one time. It appears one time. Not in this context. No. Yes. And that's because people weren't talking about that. There was a famous researcher who did a whole bunch of work on this quite a while ago, but after the big book in 12 and 12 were written. But Wilson wrote on, on page 45 in 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, if temperamentally we are on the depressive side, we are apt to be swamped with guilt and self-loathing. We wallow in this messy bog, often getting a misshapen and painful pleasure out of it. As we morbidly pursue this melancholy activity, we may sink to such a point of despair that nothing but oblivion looks possible as a solution. Here, of course, we've lost all perspective, and therefore all genuine humility. For this is pride in reverse. This is not a moral inventory at all. It is the very process by which the depressive has so often been led to the bottle and extinction. And he mentions the word moral inventory. That's in the chapter on the fourth step. Moral, in the sense that it's used in the 12 steps, means perceptual rather than tangible. It doesn't mean right or wrong. For instance, where I live, there's a football team that rarely wins football games. <laughs> But sometimes they play a worthy opponent and they score well and they say they had a moral victory. 
They just perceived they won something. They didn't get the trophy. And and that's important for me to understand. This is what is my perception. I'm writing down what my perceptions are and having God change those. That is what the fourth step inventory does. And this shame inventory is taken right out of the big book. It's a folding together of a series of prayers and ideas from the resentment inventory and from the fear inventory. And it really goes like this in the first column, Second column and third column are just like as laid out on the example on page 65. Um, a couple of words to remember where the shameful event happened. Second column is a brief description of what happened in the event. That would be the equivalent of the cause. The third column, um, where parts of our lives are affected by the shame inventory. Self-esteem, security, ambitions, personal relations, or sex relations. Pick them. And the fourth column, here's a prayer. We ask our higher power of holding on to this shame is going to help us carry out our higher power's will for us. That's the question Mark was given as he's walking up the hill to work. This involves a prayer, and there's an answer to the prayer. Like all the prayers in the big book, they all have answers. It involves a period of meditation. I like to sit quietly with my sponsees and meditate. We set a timer for five minutes. We've got a beautiful little guided meditation we go through. I'd share it with anybody. Um, and then ask the question. Say the prayer and ask the question and wait for the answer. It's a yes or no question. The column's really skinny. If uh, write down the answer, it's usually no. If there's a yes, we've got to go back to step two because you believe your higher power wants you to carry shame. you got to fire that higher power and get another one. Fifth column, we ask God again what we should be instead of carrying this shame. This is a part of the prayer taken from the fear inventory. We ask God to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. Another period of five minutes meditating, opening ourselves up to the grace of God, and then simply ask, God, what would you have me be instead of carrying the shame that I just now admitted is not your will for me? And write down whatever comes, just like we do in the fear inventory. And it's amazing the things that people come up with. Words, they don't even know what they really mean or how they would apply this until they get into the dictionary. It's funny, God knows what all the words in the dictionary means, and I don't. <laughs> you know, he'll be curious. Why does he want to be curious? And we'll look it up and go, why, that makes perfect sense. That's actually happened before. In the sixth column, we write down if we are willing to become our higher power's vision for us, as indicated in the fifth column. This is a period of self-examination. Am I willing to do what God... This is essentially step six. And if we're not willing, we pray to the willingness comes. In the seventh column, we ask if the shame event harmed anyone. It's just a check mark so we can come back to it later on in the eighth step. And finally, in the eighth column, we release the shame event to our higher power. And some have created their own prayer. Others use a prayer that came from a little meditation that's been handed down in my lineage. And it goes like this. God, you have given me courage and clarity to open a place in my heart to receive your presence. The shame of when I fill in the blank helps me to realize how sick and cut off from you I was. I am ready to let you change me into what you want me to be without this shame. Affirm that I need mercy and forgiveness. You give it. I will receive it. Also, affirm that I need to love myself because as you desire it of me, this too will I do. 
When we were praying, we paused from time to time to let our higher power communicate to our soul the truth of the words we were uttering. This is extremely sacred ground for us. Our higher power was actually doing for us in this moment what we had imagined would never be possible. Our shame was actually disappearing. We repeated the prayer as often as necessary to have this experience. When our higher power confirmed that we were ready, we marked the eighth column with a check mark to indicate completion of the text. Next shame. I have sat across the table for men and watched God lift shame right out of them in front of me, never to return. Now, don't, you know, if I start acting out again, your misery will be gladly refunded. You can absolutely have back all the shame that you ever had released. Just like I can be re-angry and re-fearful and re-selfish and re-dishonest. And I can react out my whole life. But why? This takes people away from self and closer to God. Therefore, it is in the spirit of what the 12 steps accomplish. Um, I have had men who um, could not continue through the regular fourth step work. They would do something like write down the first column in resentments. My father, locked up in shame. I'm not going anywhere on this. And we'd stop and we'd do the shame inventory. And you know what? Without exception, every man that I've taken into the shame inventory thought they had a list a mile long of all the different shames. And we said, okay, let's do the big ones first. Okay, we did one or two or four or seven, and the rest of them were gone. One guy, we were doing his fifth step. And God spoke to me. He said, this guy needs to do shame inventory. He's not done. Don't send him into the hour of meditation. And by the way, we did that one on Skype because he lived out of town. So when he got home, he got ready, we got on Skype, and we did it. And it turned out he had only one big shame, the shame of being him. And when God lifted that out, every barrier he had against the rest of the steps was dissolved. God is real. God makes this possible. Thank you for letting me share. Uh, we are now open for sharing. I've got a, or questions, too. We've got a uh, microphone chair here, two on-deck chairs over there. I'm Ron Sexaholic. Hi, Ron. And uh, I'm grateful for the sessions that uh, are on shame in this conference. Um, some of the some of the fantasies that I have actually involve um, re-experiencing shaming behaviors, and those fantasies are are very troubling to me because I've come to recognize that why would I want any type of shaming or degrading type of uh, type of experience? It's just so so fundamentally counter to how I want to experience my life and how I would want those people that I care about and, and, and all my brothers here to experience their life. Um, and uh, it's just become very clear here that the shame is something that I really need to, that I really need to focus on. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing the inventory. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks. 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 While, while you were sharing, uh, Tim just uh, tapped me on the shoulder and uh, suggested I share um, experience of uh, one person I, I took through the uh, shame inventory. And uh, 
what what we learned and discovered as we were going through the uh, Shema inventory is that um, it, it only worked uh, for him to uh, do about three Shema events um, at a time uh, in a period of time, and then for him to come and uh, do a fifth step with me and talk about those uh, three things, and uh, and. Um, so every day he, he'd come and uh, come back with, with uh, three more shame uh, events, and we'd uh, we'd quickly talk through it and, and quickly do a, a fifth a step on it. And I saw this uh, man um, go from absolute being a timid, um, incapable a person of uh, facing the the world uh, in the eyes to a completely confident um, a man that uh, that uh, really understood and and was willing and able to take uh, responsibility for his actions um and and go through the the rest of the, the 12 steps where he was completely incapable of uh beforehand that I pass thanks mark mike sexolic from jacksonville hey mike hey um very tangibly um shame has interfered with my recovery in my relationship with my sponsor. That's really the most direct place where I see it interfering. Um, I appreciate a lot of these tools. I'm really eager to work a shame inventory. But before any of that, um, it's difficult to even start an open and completely honest relationship with my, with my sponsor. I've had six, um, and, and the broken part's been me. And I feel like the broken part of me in that relationship um, has been that shame has kept me from being rigorously honest um, with my sponsor um, and what happens is the stuff that really doesn't get to the core of what's wrong with me is what I share with my sponsor. Everything's when everything's good, when everything's fine, when I'm working my program. But the places where I really need a sponsor are the places where shame keeps me specifically from seeking out my sponsor. Um, and so I just wanted to get some feedback, ask the question of, of shame in, in working with a sponsor and how to overcome shame um, in that relationship first and foremost. Thanks. Um, as I read the, the big book um, and I see the terms of uh, rigorous honesty over and over again, it is rigorous honesty uh, with God. It is rigorous uh, honesty uh, with uh, self that uh, that the big book is talking about over and over again. I don't infer that that I'm uh, advocating uh, being dishonest uh, with uh, sponsors, but uh, you've got to uh, first be um, honest uh, with yourself and honest uh, with God before you can be honest uh, with uh, other people. And if those things are, are in order and you are being honest with yourself and uh, being honest uh, with God, then uh, getting uh, down on, on your knees and asking God, where do I... Uh, uh, what do I do to begin to mend this uh, relationship? How do I begin to take responsibility for uh, for the actions that I've uh, taken, which I know ha- have uh, been deceitful and, and and lying? Where where do I go? What, what's the next step that that I take? I know if you you do that, uh, the answers will will come, and and uh, God will clearly um, show a path forward as, as to how that uh, uh, relationship can uh, can be healed and um, and what to do next and. I wouldn't want to uh, take anybody away from uh, from God uh, directing uh, what to do next. That I pass. Um, in the textbook of recovery titled Alcoholics Anonymous, it says 
that those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And my non-fellowship approved sobriety chip says, to thine own self be true. And so it is a program of rigorous honesty. And the honesty is between my ears. Am I lying to myself? Am I lying to myself? Is, is the extent to which I'm lying to myself is the extent to which I cannot be honest with my sponsor. And quite frankly, it was pointed out to me that I got where I was doing what I wanted to do and not doing what I didn't want it to do. And that didn't work. So to have a new way of life, I'm going to have to do things I don't want to do and not do things I do want to do. And so it might be uncomfortable. It might take some shaking up inside. But there is a requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. And if doing something you don't want to do is what you have to do to get sexually sober and to stop lusting, you're just fulfilling the requirement for membership. Good morning, uh, George. Grateful recovering sexaholic. Uh, thank you for that uh, segue. Um, brought tears to my my eyes. Um, I remember the day that I heard the definition of of shame and contrasting it with guilt, where guilt is I did something wrong, and shame is or I did something bad, and shame is I am bad. And I wish I had had this uh, shame inventory. Um, when I discovered what shame meant to me in my life, because I had to do it on my own, so I am grateful for for learning that, and I will will pass that along. Um, but shame for me was the last vestige of my addiction. You know, it was it was in relative terms, in comparison, it was easy to to get sober physically. It was easy to do deal with my resentments. Uh, it was easy to do uh, to deal with anger. But I didn't realize that, that I had shame, and it just kept hanging on. And in a nutshell, um, by the time I was 15, I was emotionally abandoned and, and, uh, and often physically abandoned by my, my workaholic parents. My dad was a sexaholic. I learned about uh, this past May. And I was uh, uh, an emotional wreck. I, w- I had zero self-esteem. Um, my father was a diplomat. I, we lived in Pakistan, halfway around the world. I, I grew up there. And uh, when it came time for high school, I had to come back to the States. So I uh, got myself on an airplane, flew halfway across the world to a town that I'd never been to, to a school I'd never seen. And I was desperately lonely. And uh, I was in a, a hotel in Boston uh, waiting uh, over the weekend in order to start school on Monday when a, uh, a fellow... Kind of reminded me of my dad, uh, befriended me. And over the course of the weekend, uh, I was uh, I was raped by this guy. And something clicked in my brain at that point, and I realized that, you know, I was so filled with disgust and shame. But on the other hand, I was filled with this this feeling that he filled a longing in my heart for for connection to someone. And that started a course in my life where I repeated that over and over and over a hundred thousand times. And each time it happened, I learned more that I hated myself and the shame just grew deeper and deeper and deeper. And there came a point um, in at the, the, this 
in my recovery where I, I had to become honest with the fact that what was happening at that time was I wanted to be loved, and the only way I knew how to do that was to offer myself up. And I was caught, I'm not homosexual, and I was caught in this, this paradox of, uh, if I'm not homosexual, then why did I do all these things? And that shame was just, it was binding, it was, it was corrosive. And uh, I, I finally realized that I had to accept myself and the fact that when I was, was 15 years old and I needed something, to con- a connection with, with, uh, with, with my dad and with my parents that I'd never gotten, that had been missing my whole life, that it was okay for me to have that need and to want that connection and to need love. And that it wasn't bad. The actions I took from that point forward were, were bad, but that doesn't make me a bad person. And in effect, I went through this shame inventory and I released that feeling of I am bad to, to my God. And he told me I am good. And it was not instantaneous, but it felt like it was over the course of, of, of several days of, of wrestling with this. And I, it was, that the shame was lifted and that whole negative self-esteem thing just disappeared. And from that point forward, I've been able to look people in the eye and, and tell my story and, and help other people with the same issues and, uh, uh, deal with shame. And it is crippling. And uh, uh, thank you for for sharing your your learning on how to uh, to deal with this. And as I said earlier, I'm going to use it and and pass it along. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Jerry. Hi, my name's Kerry. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Kerry. Um, I'm really affected by that share um, related to what I'm going to share as well. Um, for me, when I when I first came into the rooms, um, I felt so completely unique. Um, for one thing, in the meeting that I was sharing, there was a lot of uh, sharing about issues other than than, than being a sexaholic, and and uh, I, I I sort of had the idea that you know after you're in the program for a little while, all this stuff goes away, and you just start dealing with how mad you are at your wife and stuff because that's what everybody talked about, and and so I felt like sometimes like I was the only sex addict in the room, and. Uh, so I was, I, I really dealt with that shame and it kept me, I, I, I stayed in a, in a, uh, relapse pattern for, for the first year of recovery and, um, due to that shame. And then the other level of that shame was that, that all of my acting out, and I'm a married man and, uh, uh, but, but all of my acting out was with other men and I was, uh, I was extremely ashamed of that. And, um, one of, uh, one of the guys in the group at, during one of the meetings, um, just out of the blue, began to share um, and shared the same struggle. And I've since heard that called the gift of going first, and that was the most precious gift ever given to me because that enabled me to to begin to start getting real with with uh, you know with what I was doing, and and I did, and I began to very very uh, uh, haltingly share, and um, the release of shame for me being. Just telling what I had done, and, and really, uh, I got a sponsor who was very understanding, and I, I, I just let it all out there. And um, when I realized that um, that God had taken the shame away, uh, my sponsor and this this other member who had given me that beautiful gift of going first, 
they both took me out to dinner to celebrate my one-year uh, sobriety, and we were sitting at a, an outdoor restaurant and uh, talking and talking about where we had been and things we had done, and we were laughing. And I laugh now. I didn't laugh before. And I make sure that when I go to meetings and there's newcomers in the room, I always share that I always share exactly where I've been. And the, the result of that is that other people have been able to, to release their shame as well. And it reminds me of the, uh, of a quote from the, from the good book that says, you've turned my morning into dancing. And, um, so I'm forever grateful to this program for, for that gift. Thank you. My name is Landon. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, I'm one of the guys who has been through the shame inventory. And uh, one of my deepest moments of shame was uh, I remember sitting in college at the uh, campus center and I was alone eating. And I just remember thinking that everybody in the room uh, was was looking at me and everybody in the room was making fun of me, um, either about how ugly I looked or about um, just that I was alone and that I wasn't eating with a friend. And that that shame just had such a hold and such a power on me. And uh, when I first went through the shame inventory, God led me to my sponsor and uh, and did the shame inventory and found spiritual release and had a spiritual experience and had several spiritual experiences. And uh, and, and just through through different variations that God began to lift shame out of me and uh and i'm also and with that experience i'm also um one of these guys that uh shame was was removed but it did return again and uh and i have experience with that and the the explanation that i have for that is that i uh selfishness cropped up and i didn't ask god to remove it and uh which is which is clearly in the big book you know we uh we cert- we look for selfishness and uh, when it crops up, we ask God to remove it. And um, I'm one of these. If you can, if you can stereotype um, different people in the program, perhaps you have, you know, just complete shame junkie um, on one side, and then uh, you know, complete egomaniac on the other side. And and I'm even though I am addicted to shame, I've, I'm right in the middle of that. And so when shame was removed, and my and my resentment started to come out, and my and my ego started to crop up. Then, uh, then I, I didn't deal with that going directly toward God. And so then the shame came back. And, um, uh, and, and so some, some of the times during that, I can also relate with the, uh, with the shares about honesty that, uh, that shame plants lies, uh, deep within me. And, uh, I remember one of the times that I called my sponsor and I said, look, you know, I just, um, just had a relapse and, you know, what's going on? You know, God, I've seen spiritual release, you know, God has removed my shame, but yet it's coming back up and I acted out and he said, well, you know, of course God removed your shame, but um, that shame has had fertile soil in you and it's planted deep down with, inside me, just like lust is. And uh, and so it can crop back up too. And uh, and so the seeking humility has been something that has helped me. And, and there's even been times uh, here recently, I was even, I was talking with my sponsor last night and uh, and, and shame has, um, you know, blocked me from, uh, from saying it's like taking the actions of love, uh, that there have been misunderstandings for me, uh, with things like that. 
and uh, and the whole time I'm so thankful for a higher power that has continued to pursue me and uh, and that has continued to evolve my conception of him that was perhaps false when I first did the shame inventory and that uh, and that he's never left me and never uh, stopped giving me that spiritual experience through the whole process. Thanks for letting me share. I'm Dennis H. I'm from Peoria, Illinois. I uh, want to share a bit of my experience. I grew up in a home, and he gave me a two-minute warning, so okay, make it short. But uh, I grew up in a home where I had a lot of verbal, physical abuse, um, again and again and again, and I still hear the words today from my mother, the old tapes that say, I'm no good, I'm not worth anything, I'll never amount to anything. Um, and that's lies. And that produced a lot of shame in my life. And that was, that and fear are things that led me into my addiction because I can't have a real relationship with anybody. That's what my uh, mind said, because I'm so bad. And I've learned differently in the program. And one of the tools I use that helps me is to uh, write down how do I perceive myself right now and how does my higher power perceive me? Or how would I like my higher power to perceive me? Because sometimes that's as close as I can get. And uh, so that's one tool. Another thing is to, at least in the beginning, I couldn't pick out uh, an idea of a higher power that was big enough and uh, loving enough to overcome uh, the way I saw God. I saw God, I saw a higher power like my father was. If you get out of line, you're going to get beaten. And that's not the way my higher power is. And so I had to pick out something bigger. So I was kind of told in the beginning is find somebody in the fellowship that you think is the best idea of God that you could see, okay? Because I need somebody with flesh on, okay? That's what helps me. And so I picked that person out, and then I said, would you be my sponsor? And he says, well, yeah. But uh, anyway, those kind of things help me. Because I need to constantly remind myself, how does my God see me? There's a lot of good things in me. And as I'm growing, and I have uh, just over five years of sobriety last week, I've learned that I have things I can share that will help you guys. And I can learn from you guys. So I have a responsibility to listen and to share. So, thanks. Good morning, I'm Christoph. Uh, I'm a sexaholic. Thank you for this session. I was expecting something <clears throat> different. I was expecting a maybe case sort of study rather than um, uh, finding what shame was. And I'm very grateful for this session because I feel now after having heard um, what a uh, sort of definition of shame, I really am not yet clear what the shame is, but I feel that a shame for me um, may be a, a stumbling block to full recovery and uh, and I know that I cannot give what i uh, I cannot give what i don 't have and i if i don 't have uh, love for myself, I cannot uh, know what uh, giving love to somebody else would be or acceptance or anything else and uh, i 'm very 
eager to uh, learn more and discover about shame, shame inventory, what this means uh, to me, and um, how I can um, uh, step into full recovery, um, overcoming shame, but first discovering what it is. And uh, I'm grateful for, uh, for this session. Uh, for me, uh, this uh, I feel starts a new uh, step uh, forward. Thank you. Thank you, Christophe. This is Tim Anson. I um, want to make clear also the shame inventory is not a substitute for the regular inventory work. It, it shovels the path for someone who has been blocked off from it by their shame. Uh, the commencement of the resentment, then fear, then selfishness and dishonesty work out of the big book goes on as before. Um, there have been times, though, where I have looked back and seen that this person is not ready to move on to step six. Because, And I told about one. They, they still have something that is... Uh, Washed up on the shore, and the other the other sections of the inventory will will help make that clear. And in all these things, um, God guides us. And I was kind of hard uh, line about the um, rigorous honesty and the third tradition. My experience and the experience I've seen in those whom I sponsor is that when the desire is there, God will open a window of grace to allow what you consider to be impossible to happen. Okay. People call it the pink cloud. What it is is God's grace. And latch on to that. Pray for the desire. Pray till it comes. And it will. Mark, do you have anything to conclude? Anything you've heard of this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. And if you don't... I'd like to close the way we do at a meeting we take to a correctional facility in Nashville called Davidson County Drug Court. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.